Welcome back to Third Base Dugout episode 112. The wild card recap and division series preview. Uh, we're going to recap each of the wild card series. Um, all of them went to don't all of them only took two games except for one. Um, and we'll talk about that and then we'll dive into the division series and uh, give our picks for that, as well as uh, since we all had the Cardinals in the World Series. Sorry, Mike, we're going to have to make new World Series picks um, for us. So a set, little second chance action, uh, per se. It's so, still your fault. I, it's I, still your fault. I will not take blame, but I understand where you're placing blame. It's still uh, your fault. And I don't know if Coots actually picked Cardinals in the World Series. No, I did. I did Braves Astros. Oh, you did? did? Okay, so I Coots doesn't say, get a second yeah. chance. Sorry. I did say the Cardinals-Braves series would be the best series of the whole yeah. playoffs. But, Brian, because of your lackluster team um, and you picking my team. Wait, wait, wait. Was... Did, did you just bring the Tigers into this? Yeah, I said lackluster team. I didn't say a name, but since you know who the lackluster team I, of is. Of course I know who the lackluster team. I'm a fan of them. Okay, so next year, just stay away from my team. <laughs> I think I think gladly at this point. I, I don't think uh, – anytime that I've relied on the Cardinals, it has not gone in my favor. So I'm going to no longer rely. Thank you. I appreciate it. Cardinals. Just a year. It's going to be a year too late. Now the Cardinals are going to win the World Series next year. Um, and I will be very happy for you when that happens. And I appreciate that. But let's t- next time, let's just save your enthusiasm for when it happens and not pick us ahead of time. Understandable. Understandable. Um, before we get started, make sure you go follow us on Twitter at Third Base Dugout. Um, I wasn't as good about it as I should have been this weekend, but I'm trying to keep you updated on the playoffs. Uh, busy weekend, uh, but Division Series starts today if you're listening to this on tuesday uh the braves i, be- I believe braves phillies is the noon game on fs1 or fox sports some on fox um so excited for that excited for these series to kick off because i think we have four pretty good series um and it's tough to say now i think uh my prediction on one of them i don't think one of them is going to be a pretty good series but um otherwise it'll be kind of it'll be some fun baseball so Let's dive into the wild card round. Um, the I guess we'll start with the we starting with Cleveland and Tampa. We are. Oh gosh, this is like there are snooze fests in playoff baseball, and there is whatever game two was. Um, but in game one, game one was very exciting. They were, they were through like six innings in like an hour and 10 minutes, which was unbelievable. It was like Bieber and McClanahan just kept going three of three down to every single inning. Um, and both of them dominated. Um, Jose Siri hit a bomb against off of, off of Shane Bieber. And then I think it was either the next inning or the inning after Jose Ramirez, hits a two run bomb and it'll be in the deciding factor. Um, which is um fun fact for you guys is the first time in MLB history that two guys with the same first name homered off of two guys with the same first name. So Shane and Shane gave up home runs to Jose and Jose. So a little, little fun, little fun tip, but that's the only fun part about the series. However, yeah. game two went 15 innings scoreless. 
And then finally, Oscar uh, Oscar Gonzalez walked it off in his SpongeBob SquarePants walk-up song. Yeah, that was one of those series where when I text you guys about it, I couldn't make up my mind if it was just really good pitching or horrible offense. Like, I'm all for a pitcher's duel, but I think after, like, seven, eight innings of the starters, you know, chucking it, after that, I just started leaning towards this bad offense, especially when you get to 13 or 14 minutes. Like, at some point, someone has to guess right, correct? Like, someone yeah. has to guess on a fastball and just hit it a mile, right? Like, it's not that hard. But their offenses, both of them are just so bad. Like I say it's not that hard like I've ever hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball before. But like, I mean, I have. It was off a pitching machine. So, it was like, hey, I know what's coming. Get ready to swing. And actually, you knew what was coming, though. Like, you have – like, even if you're guessing fastball, you know subconsciously, like, oh, he could maybe spin a slider here. Yeah, but I th- – not to go because I promised you guys I would not go down rabbit holes. This is very sound advice <laughs> for any young player or current player that is still listening. If you sit fastball, it's easy to adjust everything else. Sure. Like, but when you're looking off speed and you finally get that fastball, um, it becomes a problem. I was talking with a friend of the show, Carl, and this was like before the season, uh, before the series started, but it was you know, approach plays a big part in hitting. If you're sitting fastball, it's easy to adjust to other stuff, right? So, I mean, yes, it's not guys throwing 100 and then breaking off 86 on a slider. But if you can sit fastball and then adjust to everything else, that makes you a much better hitter. Um, But when you're guessing now, when you finally get that ball, and I think, and this is my last little soapbox moment for now, it's (laughs) – I think that we're at a point where too much information is bad is bad for hitters <laughs> because you're thinking too much about, oh, this guy always throws uh, in two accounts. He always throws a slider down and away from, you know, from right-handed batters. But then he throws your fastball right down the middle and you're not ready for it. Either you foul it off or you take it. Now you're screwed, right? Like part of the overload of information, you know, has gotten in the way of just, hey, see ball, hit ball. You know, yes, peep tendencies, but part of those tendencies don't matter because he's probably not throwing you as an eight-hole hitter the same way he's throwing a three guy. Like, no yeah, and those and those tendencies that you're picking up on or that you're you're learning as you go throughout the game and the season, they can't, like you're saying, Mike, they can't be the end all, be all while you're at your at bat. It can, it's got to be in the back of your mind while you're still initially sticking to your approach that should stay consistent from at bat to at bat. <laughs> so it's. I mean, it's that's that's one of the most important things. Like, every, like your swing can be the most beautiful swing, but if your approach is is flawed Fresh. in any, if, if it's flawed in any way, you're going to get beat. Yeah. And you and, know, it's yeah. And I'll share this. Like, no, I didn't play college ball. Had the opportunity to pass it down. Whole another story for a whole another day, right? But with my level of success or lack thereof, in some ways. I performed better when I had less information, right? When I didn't have to think or really know a whole bunch, like I performed better because it was simple at that point. It was see ball, hit ball, you know, or react to what's going on. But at the same point, you know, once I started getting an overload of information because I know how I am, I'm very analytical. So now I'm thinking during my at bat. 
So then I'm pissed off at myself when I get that fastball that I'm waiting for and I can't pull the trigger because I'm thinking too much about what he might do, you know? So, uh, at least it's kind of the cop out I want to give that series, but after about like the eighth or ninth in, in, in that second game, it was just brutal. Like it was tough to yeah. watch, but you felt yeah. obligated to keep watching. You yeah, know, like, like much, I just had to keep it on. <laughs> right? How much worse is this going to get? Yeah. And 15 minutes later, we I see think, how bad it got. I could be wrong, but I think the 39 total strikeouts in the game is the most in a playoff game ever. And that's so, bad. I think. It's I could be wrong about that, but that's like over two strikeouts per, per six outs. Like, yeah. you got to think. So, like, per inning, you played 15 innings and 39 strikeouts. I mean, that means – Almost three guys are striking out per six outs. Yeah, and that's that's crazy. You know, yeah, I mean, now no given like, how... don't get me wrong, both of these bullpens are unreal. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I don't blame them for striking. But there out. were a lot of bad swings too, like a lot of oh, chases on pitches that weren't close, didn't look good out of the hand, and guys were still whiffing at them. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so Cleveland moves on. They face New York. Talk about that series in a sec. Now let's move on to Seattle, Toronto. What a wild series this was. Um, Seattle wins in two games. I picked that one right. Yeah, what? I called that one. I picked that one right. Yeah. Um, Seattle jumped on Manoa in game one, which I I didn't expect. I thought Manoa would come out ready to roll. Um, And then Toronto was up eight to one in game two and blew that, lost 10 to nine. So, um, they kind of deserve to lose that one after blowing an eight to one lead and Seattle moves on. And we, the, I think the best part about all of this is the fact that we get playoff baseball in Seattle. Yeah. And I am very happy about that. Now playoff baseball in both Toronto and Seattle is very fun. Both places are phenomenal. Both places have really good fan bases. Um, but Seattle not being in the playoffs for 21 years, they deserve these uh, home games that they're going to, that they're going to get or home game, depending on what they do against the Astros. But um, and at least we get to see a, a playoff baseball game played in T-Mobile Park. So um excited about that. And, um, yeah, what, what an outing by Luis Castillo, though, in game one. Yeah. Unbelievable. It definitely made their trade deadline pick up of him worth it. If yeah. I think I was perfect already, for that game. Already. Yeah, already returned on that investment. Like, Yeah. Did, um, did you guys see – Luis Castillo intentionally threw at George Springer. Allegedly. Um, Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, Now, reading lips, (laughs) I I think we all kind of came to that allegation. Um, But so Manoa hit Julio Rodriguez in like the arm twice, like which was up around the dome both times and like obviously you're, you're going to take a little bit of offense to that in playoff baseball you don't want your young stud going down in a playoff series now given it's game one of the playoffs never intentional but hey look you, you know, at that point you got to do what you got to do um that's this is old school baseball at this point where Luis Castillo runs one up and in on on George Springer and Scott Service walks up to the mound to take him out which obviously was the quote, final straw for Luis Castillo was throwing up and into uh, Springer was his last batter. Um, And when, like, when he came off the mound, Luis Castillo said, he, I think, like, reading his lips, he said, I did what I had to do or something like, and um, 
And Sarah's just in there smiling because he knows, like, it's playoff baseball, adrenaline runs high, you can't let your young stud get hit like that. So, like, there are never many times where I'm like, yeah, go up and in on a guy. But, like, with tensions running that high and adrenaline running that high, I'm like, look, it is backyard baseball at this point. Um, you, you just you just do what you got to do to protect your guys, and especially in a playoff series. And that's the type of stuff that – I I honestly enjoy being the old guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but you what what that does for your clubhouse though is that um Julio Rodriguez knows that the best arguably the best pitcher on his team has his back, right? So he's like, I'm good, I'm good with everybody here. You know, and especially a guy just now coming over, you know, at the trade deadline, been there for you know a few months, but is already, you know, willing to stick up for him already, especially in a big moment like that. Yep. That's the type of stuff that one rallies a clubhouse, but also, you know, sends a good message for everybody there. Like, Hey, we're in this together. If we got to fight it out, we're going to fight it out, but I'm going to be right beside you. Absolutely. Definitely. <clears throat> I think that was a Luis Castillo statement game, not just in that aspect, but just the way he performed obviously was incredible. And, I think we can all agree that we thought the Manoa start for Toronto was going to be the one game that they really should take away from this, from the series. But um, obviously it didn't turn out like that. And the Mariners got on a roll and now they're in the next round of the playoffs facing an in-division team that they've seen plenty of. So I'm sure they'll yeah. be they have more than enough research and know, know what to expect more than say somebody out of the division. So I'm super excited for this for this series, and we'll see. I, I want to touch on how much you guys think these teams moving on to the next round, how much them playing already, how much momentum that gives them facing teams that have had a week off, whether or not you think that gives them an advantage or if you think it, it puts them at a little bit of a setback pitching-wise and whatnot. I think it's it's – Hit or miss. So um, I think Seattle has an advantage because they've been on the road. Um, the young guys get that road environment experience in the playoffs. Like Julio Rodriguez obviously goes into a hostile environment, plays pretty well. I think he had two or three hits overall. Um, and then uh, – They were able to save Logan Gilbert. Yeah. And um, and get George Kirby postseason experience. Yeah. Even he, despite he it being – in the second game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think the downfall for both both all four teams that came out of the wild card round is like your number one doesn't come back for game one. So you've got to rely on your number three to maybe give you a decent start and just hope you can pull out a win against these juggernaut aces. I mean, because you got to think, I mean, you got to look at the aces that are going to be throwing then uh, for these top four teams. I mean, Julio Arias is probably going to start game one. Um Max Freed is probably going to start game one. Uh, Garrett Cole will start game one. And then Justin Verlander is going to start game one. There's not a single win in the four of those. Like, like there's not a there's not a guaranteed multiple runs off of the four of those. Um, so, like, Verlander, I'm sorry, Seattle, but I don't know if you are even going to get a hit. Off but the of way – the way I love the way that – what I want to say that they have Logan Gilbert, which is better than starting maybe a four like the Padres are versus yes. the Dodgers. Sure. It obviously winning that series in two games 
will help out drastically and put them in a better position to win. But at the same, in the same breath, it is Justin Verlander and you're probably screwed either way. Yep. But at it, it, the way they sit now, they are obviously in a better position when that game, that series did not go through. Yep. And now the Padres are stuck throwing Clevenger versus Dodgers. Who has a 9.5, which is an automatic down a game already in the series, which I am not, I'm not as willing to count out the Mariners versus Justin Verlander. In some cases though, you could, I guess in theory, you could still start your one. You're just still on Friday. So don't on four days rest as opposed to well, – technically, I guess you want to be technical about it, it's throwing on three days rest because he's starting the fourth. But that's only one day shorter than where he would start anyway. You know, so you have an opportunity, depending on, like, your starter, how much he threw in on Friday, um, how many innings, how, like, how stressful was it? Um, could you possibly go back with him on short rest because – you would think that they're also going to turn around and in a five, if it goes five, that your one is going to have to go on short rest again anyway. So it's, do I chance it and throwing him in one and having him come back in short rest in five, if we get there or start him in two, and then he's less likely to have to throw any in game five. Um, so I don't, I don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility, but. Well, it actually technically is because. All four wildcard teams are not starting their number ones in game yeah. one. I mean, it okay, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. They're just not going into that realm. <laughs> so it's not out of the realm. It's just they're not going there. Yeah. Um, but I, especially out of the two series that we talked about so far, um, Seattle's probably in a better position, you know, because like since you're starting Logan Gilbert, who – by all accounts, could be an ace on a lot of other staffs right now. You know, he just so happens to slot in at three for them. Yeah. Uh, Cleveland's in definitely more of a bad position because of that 15-inning game. And the rest of the rotation behind McKenzie and and Bieber really just isn't, like, incredible. Like, Quantrill's yeah. pretty good, like a 3-3 ERA, but, like, yeah. in, in terms of how they their cool. lineup is constructed, I just – I don't – I don't. I don't think there's almost any way they win Game One against against Garrett Cole because I mean you you're gonna have to slug against the Yankees because they're gonna outslug you. So I I I don't know. I, I think obviously San Diego's in the worst spot because starting Mike Clevenger in Game One against the a team that just won 112 games is not um, ideal. Uh, and a guy who statistically is just mutilated by the Dodgers. So, obviously, the Padres are in the worst spot, but um, I don't think there's a single one of these teams that's actually in a good spot, per se. Um, I think – however, I guess the Guardians might actually be in the best spot looking at it because, like, Mariners, I don't don't want to face Verlander right now. The Phillies, I don't think – Without Wheeler or Nola starting, I I just don't know if they have enough pitching to beat the Braves. Um, and then the Padres, the Padres are going to lose in Game One. Um, so I, I think the Guardians are in the best spot. However, I think their three, four, and five starters are probably some of the worst out of any of the playoff teams right now. So. 
Yeah, I think the Guardians are going to really have to rely on Bieber, McKenzie, and and Quantrill, and yeah. just if it comes worst comes to worst, you ride you come come game three and four or four and five. If you know if it gets to that point, they'll have to ride them on short rest. But I want to go back to the Padres and Dodgers series because we're talking about how bad uh, Clevenger is against the Padres or against the Dodgers, sorry. Um, the flip side of that is how good Snell is versus the Dodgers. Yeah. He he is absurdly better against the Dodgers than any other team in the league. And obviously, with that said, he outplays his, you know, his season statistics against the Dodgers. And I would imagine the same would go for, you know, postseason Snell. We saw it the other day, how, how dominant he can be. So, Maybe they can pull one back in the Snell start, but they're definitely not in a good shape or in a good spot for the uh, the Clevenger start. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's keep rolling with the wild card series, and then we'll get into the divisions. Um, Philly and St. Louis. I'm sorry, Mike. We got to talk about it. Um, Philly wins it in two games and really just devastating fashion in game one. Um, Jose Quintana puts together a phenomenal start, but so does um, Zach Wheeler. Both pitchers threw well. Quintana only threw 75 pitches, so I think they were hoping that after that he could come back um, for the divisional series. Um, Wheeler was supposed to be on a pitch count, and I think basically just told him no because um, he ended up throwing, I think, seven innings. Um, 96 so, pitches, yeah. Yeah. Um, and going into the ninth, Ryan Helsley, who got hit in uh, on a comebacker in the hand, uh, a couple days ago, came into pitch and gave up a two nothing lead. Him and uh, Pal- Palante, is that right, Mike? Palante, yeah. Palante um, blew a two nothing lead, ended up uh, losing six to three. And then uh, game two, Aaron Nola threw well, and, uh, and the Cardinals were toast. Yeah. Um, definitely the heartbreaking one in game one. Right, because especially that last inning, one pitchers inflicted a lot of damage on themselves by not throwing strikes. Um, if I'm not mistaken, if I recall it correctly, uh, Giovanni Gallegos actually started off that inning, and then they brought in Helsley. Um, I think that in some ways you were trying to avoid Helsley and give him, um, you know, if you're saying, hey, if we can steal or if we can hold out and win game one. No, so that was the Gallegos who wanted to. Th- Okay, so guy goes. He still threw one and a third. Yeah, and but, then Helsley threw. I think or came in with one out in the eighth. Tried to throw a five out save. Yeah, and it blew up in the ninth. Yeah, um, but either way that it goes, like once Palante came in because it was still a tie ball. I mean, it was still a two zero ball game at that point. Um, you get Gene Segura with two outs down to his last strike, and I mean he just sticks the bat out there. And it finds finds a little bit of grass, like squeaks through the infield. Um, you know, the same thing, like that and it just kind of snowballed. So you knew it was gonna be an uphill battle going into game two. And the Cardinals just didn't do what they had done all year. They hit well in situations all year. And even for as good as Nola was, the Cardinals went if I recall right, it was like either 0 for eight or 0 for nine with runners in scoring position. Um, that's not going to win you a game, especially when you got situations with nobody out and runners on second and we can't get them in, you know, those, mm-hmm. but I, I will, 
not take uh, much away from the Phillies. If anything shown there that was eye-opening for a lot of things, it was Alec Bohm overall play. Like, for a guy that struggled defensively at the beginning of the year, especially in game two, he – I mean, he robbed the Cardinals of several hits. Like, you were scooping um, everything. Yeah, and it I was like the only ball that – sorry, continue. Go ahead. No, you got to go ahead. I was going to say, I think the only ball that got by him was Pujols' last hit. Yeah. And before that, like, I mean, he was snagging stuff down the line. I mean, balls coming off the bat at 105 plus that are looking like short doubles off the bat. You know, he's snagging him. So, um, pan the camera and Bomb's got it. He's gathering his his steps. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so what I will say, like I said, it's not taking anything away from from the Phillies. Um, Because I said it before we started, I don't believe that they were the better team. It was just that they were the hotter team. Um, you know, coming down that stretch, they've been playing playoff baseball basically for the last month, whereas the Cardinals had locked up the division. So the last couple of weeks, it was just sort of like, hey, let's just kind of ease to the playoffs. We got the Pirates coming up for six games, like, and we stumbled offensively coming down the stretch. So it was some pause for concern. And then Goldie and Arenado didn't have their best series. So a lot of things went the Phillies way, but that's also a byproduct of their starting pitching, you know, doing their job. So uh, kudos to them. They, they definitely came in and earned it um, and set themselves up for a pretty decent series because they didn't have to really tax their already shaky bullpen. Um, That didn't really look terrible. No, it didn't. Yeah. I mean, but great. I think they only use like, in reality, they only use like three or four guys. Yeah. Right. So I mean, it was their top guys were, you know, Eflin, readily available. Eflin, Alvarado, Robertson, and Sir Anthony Dominguez. Yeah. Um. So like those four guys, and you're like, okay, we got out of this, you know. So, um, definitely it was heartbreaking to see, um, the Cardinal season to end. One because. Yes, I'm a fan, and I wanted us to win World Series, but also knowing that that was Pujols' last at bat and Yachty's last at bat. But it was cool to see them both get hits in their final at bats. So, yeah, for sure. And um, I think so. I, I want to touch on just. I think this series just highlighted the importance of having a solid one-two punch at the start of the rotation, at the yeah. top of your rotation, and. Obviously, I think we can all agree that the Phillies one two punch at the top is is better than the Cardinals one two punch marginally, maybe not by a lot, but it, it, it would lean that way. Yeah. So, and they did their jobs, and that's what they're supposed to do in, in order to win. And, right. and you would that. you would also say that their one two punch, and I, bro, I can admit it like, yes, I'm a diehard fan, but I'm also <laughs> rational and reasonable. Their one two punch is better. I think we had a better overall pitching staff, but in a short series like that, where it's like, Hey, who are your two best guys that can give you the best chance? Um, You know, they have that. um, But it also shows the difference in pitching staffs that can get strikeouts as opposed to contact pitching staffs, Mm -hmm. you know, and having those two guys being able to punch guys out that can be deflating in and of itself you know, yes, uh, a one, two, three inning is a one, two, three inning, but like three soft ground balls or two pop ups and a ground ball 
it's it's not the same yeah, yeah as when a guy is just saying okay here we go boom 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 and we got three straight k's so yeah. um, um i i tweeted about it when uh during the game but the importance of like in these types of games in these situations the importance of just putting the ball in play was unbelievable in that ninth inning i mean yeah i think in gene segura's um uh, the three like i guess major hits um the first being gene segura that um as he uh kind of just flailed at a ball and and got it past i believe that was gorman cool. at second uh um, been edmund edmund maybe Donovan. i think it was edmund at that point because um yeah yeah we might have went, late in, it. Yeah. Yeah. We went um, late in the defense defense so when um, he did that and then Bryson Stott comes up and hits a ball to first, like a, a sharper ground ball, and Goldschmidt decides instead of turning two or trying to turn two, he comes home with it and doesn't get the guy at home. Like that's a, I mean, a hindsight mistake. You, I mean, obviously if it works out, it works out. It's great. But, and then Brandon Marsh, that, that ground ball that Nolan 19 times out of 20 snags it if you just put the ball in play in the postseason yeah. things happen it's put the ball in play and don't give up free 90s yeah, yeah i yeah. think it's what you can get out of that series because yeah. yeah, absolutely we gave up about a free what is that 270 you know and <laughs> <laughs> that in it alone you know like yeah walking a base is loaded doesn't help in those situations because now you know like you said when you do put the ball in play that's a lot different. Like if Gene Segura is up in that situation and nobody's on and he swings that pitch, you get the out because your defense is positioned differently. Yeah. Like yeah. it's a, it's a different flow to it. But um, I think the other thing to point out though, is when you talked about the one, two punch that the Phillies had for all intent and purposes, the Cardinals didn't have that. Like if we think about who we started and again, it's no excuse. He was the best pitcher for us coming into that, you know, and I, don't really question the, the decision to start Quintana in game one or Michaelis in game two. Those were our two best guys coming down the stretch. But we're also looking at um, a guy who was pretty much out for a good portion of last year who's kind of working his way back in Michaelis. And then Quintana was a trade deadline acquisition, and he wasn't the trade deadline acquisition that you thought would have started that game. I thought it was going to be Jordan Montgomery, but his last like six or seven games, he was – can an ERA of like six or seven, mm-hmm. you know, so that's tough, you know, but then also to think that, Hey, you got a guy like Wainwright who struggled down the stretch, but he's still, you know, known to perform well in big games and he doesn't even see them out. Right. So yeah. Yeah. having a one, two punches instead of like trying to say, Hey, who's going to be where was a different story. So. Yeah. All right, let's move on. San Diego and New York Mets, uh, the Padres win in three. Uh, four home runs in game one off of Max Scherzer and route to victory, victory for the Padres. And then uh, the Mets bats came alive in game two as they roughed up Snell and then a little bit of the bullpen too. And then finally in uh, in game three, Joe Musgrove had a dominant outing, seven innings pitch, one hit. Um, and we'll talk about that little substance check uh, here in a minute. But um, Scherzer, I mean, I, I, I don't, think I can fathom a well, the last time a guy of his contract of his stature of his I mean Hall of Fame career 
to go out here like this and walk off the mound with such like shame. Like Kershaw's done it before. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, obviously Kershaw's had his ebbs and flows of postseason, but um Scherzer has been relatively great in the postseason, especially during that 2019 run and so on. Um, but to see the four home runs off of him, I mean, Josh Bell, we kind of knew that was coming after how much he kills the Mets. Um, and then you get uh, Trent Grisham, uh, Jerkson Profar, and I cannot remember exactly who the fourth one was. Um, but Scherzer just coming off the mound after game one, and and I, I don't know. It seems like the air was just deflated out of City Field. He got booed. The yeah. air was being used to boo him. Thirty-eight million dollars, <laughs> and you're and you're booing a lot of air your game boos. one starter in the postseason. Um, it's crazy. I mean, talk yeah. about talk about a one-two punch that should have been a dominant one-two punch, the most yeah. dominant in, in in the league. Yeah, that obviously didn't come to fruition in the playoffs where. If losing, I said this in the group chat. Um, that losing that game, game one, I don't think we realized how important that was for the Mets because oh. having, I mean, if it, anybody losing game one obviously puts you in a bad position, but then you're relying on having you, you're relying on having Degrom, who is all just coming back off of an injury, like you know, obviously not a hundred percent healthy to be dominant in a game two and win you a ball game that obviously, yes, they did end up winning the game, but it wasn't, you know, a, a DeGrom master class. I mean, it was, it was, you know, sketchy there for a bit, but then you got to rely on Bassett in a game three, which I'm sure is not exactly what they were hoping for. They were heading into the season. <laughs> yeah. I guess that that is essentially, but it, it in an ideal world you get you know you get Scherzer and you get Degrom just like the yeah. the Phillies went you know Wheeler and Nola like yeah it just it didn't that that game one I think it, the the writing was on the wall I think after Scherzer came off the mound it was it was in the Padres direction so absolutely um I'm just gonna jump straight to the end have. <laughs> Having Edwin Diaz come out down 4-0 in the eighth of that game three. And With the trumpets and all. Oh, yes. Like, and no, might as well have been playing taps. Yeah. Yeah. You could have been playing the Undertaker's theme song at that point, and that would probably got a better reaction out of, you know, what was going on. Um, <laughs> I think what we've, you know, seen, which the Mets met it, which – Yes, I'm excited about that just from how I felt about them all year. Um, but what you really seen there is how important role players are, you know, for a team's success. Like you said, in that game one, it was Grisham. Guy struggled all year hitting the ball. Jerickson Profar, you know, he's carved out himself a decent niche in San Diego, but he's not living up to the prospect that he used to be or what they were planning on or baseball thought he was going to be, you know, but like I said, it, it makes a difference in, in the postseason um, of other guys that you have that can step up getting those timely hits. But I think it was more of a, I don't know, it was more of a meltdown on the Mets. I think that especially when you look at their last few weeks of the season, them losing in the first round is probably the most shocking because they had such a big lead in the division 
Mm-hmm. You choke that away, and then you choke it away again, and or not necessarily choke it away. You get beat um, in this wild card series, you know. So you, yeah. <laughs> you it's heck of a heck of a fall for the Mets to go from leading the division, ready for a first round bye, to now seeing their two division foes squaring off against each other in divisional series while yeah. while they go home is is something. Um, yeah. But and then you then you start the questions of did Degrom just make his last start for the Mets? We'll have to talk about that at the beginning of all season. Yeah, absolutely. But, but just I can't know, a little character, little character dangle out yeah. there. Yeah, um, I want to talk about this Musgrove thing. So um, in Game Three, he just completely dominated, and I, it's it. Yes, Shane Bieber was relatively similar in Game One of their series, but in terms of the. Win or go home on both sides, on the road, um, a uh, hundred plus win team. I mean, the the magnitude of this start was unbelievable. Um, to the point where, like, I don't even really question it right now. I think he's their best starter. Um, I think he was heading into this anyway, but they decided to. Um, go with Darvish in game one, which obviously worked out. But, I mean, Musgrove had some had some shit about him in, in game three, and so much so that Buck Showalter decided to do a substance check in the middle of an inning on Musgrove. And he had, like, some – his ears were really shiny. I, I, I don't understand why, because generally that means, like, some, like, almost like a lubricant substance, like, not – it's not sticky. Yeah. yeah, it's like I I don't know what they were exactly feeling for, um, but um, they didn't find anything, of course. And then Musgrove gets pissy and starts jawing at the Mets dugout, and and I love uh, who was on the call of it. Um, might have been Ravage. I think it might have been, might have been Carl Ravage um, was on the call of it, and he and Eduardo Perez were saying, I, I don't know why you would do this in a game of this magnitude, like don't give the Mets any fuel with three innings to play. Like he he's in the sixth inning making gestures and barking at the Mets dugout. And meanwhile, like there's still a lot of game left. It's not a huge lead. And so I crazy situation. Um, Mets fans, I guess are finding something to blame the loss on, but in my opinion, it it reeked of desperation. Yeah, I think I think somebody on the Mets, one of the Mets beat writers, I think I saw it, said this said the same thing, and I I mean I fully agree. And in the moment, it just seemed like they were trying to just claw their way out of a hole that yeah. they knew they were in too deep. That sure. they were just trying to find something to, you know, either throw. I I think McCutcheon said that you know Buck's Buck was maybe the intent was obviously to find something and then second to maybe throw him off his rhythm a bit, which obviously it did not do that. If anything, it made him pitch with a little bit more of an edge and be more dominant. So it was a failed sabotage plan that ended up sabotaging the match. So yeah. Um, also put out there that he was like, I guarantee you it's not sticky stuff. He's like, it's red hot. Like it's the hot sauce. Yeah. He's like hot. for yeah. for whatever reason, 
pitcher. He said pitchers love it. It kind of gets them fired up and gives them an edge. Hey, to each his own. But I think that what you also seen in that game alone, though, was that the Padres offense and their dugout, they believed in their guy as a starter more than the Mets did with Bassett. And that showed. Like, Joe has been their guy over the last few years, like, yet, let alone him throwing the first no-hitter in Padres history. But it's like he's become their guy. May not be their best pitcher, but he's become their guy. You know, so I think that going into that game, or especially as the game started, and you could sense that he was on early, then it was like, hey, guys, this is going to be our day. Um, whereas the Mets are like, oh, shoot, maybe we have to overcome, you know, Bassett here as opposed to him kind of carrying us a little bit. So, yeah. Yep. Um, and it showed. It did. So we move on to the divisional series now. We're going to make some picks. Um, small breakdown of each series. Um, we'll start with the Yankees and Guardians. Uh, this is being played. Our home field advantage is the Bronx. So the Yankees who won the AL East face the AL Central champions um, in what I think probably should be a pretty good matchup. Um I'm going to go New York over Cleveland in five. Um, I think Cleveland's going to win – or excuse me, New York's going to win game one. And then it, I think it all depends on when when Bieber and McKenzie come back because uh, when you get deeper into that Yankees rotation and the back end of the bullpen because now Rolvis Chapman misses a workout and he's not on the playoff roster, like I, Cleveland's going to sneak a few wins into here. But um, I think the home home field advantage for the Yankees, the whole magic of Judge and um, and nasty Nestor, like I I I think the Yankees will at least win this one. I I think I'm going to go the opposite, but in the same games, I'm going to go Cleveland in five. That is not my Red Sox fandom speaking. That is my it is it's a matchup of polar opposites i feel like just That's kind of like it so. like just obviously the yankees are just the power hitting come right at you on the mound like here's what i got hit it and mm-hmm. then the 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 guardians are more of the put the ball in play don't strike out you know yep. more fundamentally sound so i think in my opinion that that side usually comes out on top in in baseball or i mean it should at least but obviously the mets or i mean the yankees sorry have gotten into this position because they are good at what they do. So this is going to be a fun matchup, but in my opinion, I would like to see the guardians win. And I do think there is some merit to it because they are in this position for a reason. And they've gotten to this point because they are good at what they do as well. So naturally um, Yankees in four Yankees in four I, after seeing that hidden display, <laughs> Like, it is – I'm just – I can't pick Cleveland. But I say that from a standpoint of at least if it's a pitch – if it's a close pitching game, the Yankees have the opportunity or at least more likely to run into one from somebody, you know, in their lineup to get you a run. Cleveland, on the other hand, not as much. So I think that if it – you know, if it plays out that way, then the Yankees have the advantage coming down. And I think that that will be just enough. Um, 
you know, to to overcome Cleveland's probably a better pitching staff overall, you know, but offensively they struggle so much to score that it's hard to pick them against an offense built like the Yankees. Yeah. Um, and that's not just Judge, that's their entire lineup that any one of them can, you know, get you a long ball or two. Bullpen wise, I'm 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 curious, and you can give a one word answer, I because it's a rabbit hole. We probably don't need to go down, but um, who has the better bullpen, Cleveland or Atlanta? Because I think those are the two best bullpens in in the playoffs right now. Uh, I'm going Atlanta. Think? Yeah, I'm going Atlanta just because they have more options there. I, I do agree. I do agree. But are the options better than what Cleveland has? Because, like, you got to think, Karinczak and Klasse, they're like um, – uh, I'm trying to think of a, a, a good example here. It's like uh, – well, I, I can't really think of a, an analogy. Not really an analogy. Well, I, I'll, I'll give you I'll give head, But, like, the, the two of them, one. when you get to the eighth inning, you're screwed. Yeah, I'll give you one. Um, Kelvin, Kelvin Herrera and Wade Davis for the Royals. Sure, yeah. They they won like that one two punch at the end of the at the end of the uh, game. Yeah, but I think that do does do the Braves have two of those guys? Probably not. But I think as a collection, they have a lot of guys that can they can get it done. And you also have to think how do they set up their rotation. Um, and I know we're going to jump to their series, but when you look at um, the likely three starters that you're going to get for this division series is going to be Freed, Wright, and Strider. So now you put Charlie Morton in the back end of that bullpen, and he's sick enough as a starter. Mm-hmm. But now, especially in short spurts here, you know, he gives you another guy. You got A.J. Minter. Um, you, got some, you got some guys out there, yeah. you know, that can, that can match that. I think it has to be the most flown under the radar acquisition. Oh, and Marcelo um, Iglesias is still out there. I know that's. I was gonna say that. So Man. with Atlanta this year, let me get to his stats because um, people haven't actually like un- comprehended that he's with Atlanta um, in twenty-eight games with the Braves. Does anyone know what his ERA is? Like a point seven. Point three four. That might actually be the best trade deadline acquisition. And no one realizes that he's on the Braves right now. Because Kenley's technically their closer, when which I baffles me right now because Kenley is mediocre at best at this point in his career. Like Rysel needs to be the playoff closer because Kenley, I have watched too many Braves games this year where Kenley Jansen has gotten the bases loaded in the ninth inning and somehow just gets out of it. Like He is literally Will Smith. You traded away Will Smith so that – Traded away a lefty for a righty Will Smith. (laughs) Exactly. You just basically created a Hall of Fame closer into Will Smith. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that in that series, you'll see Kenley close if there's like a three-run lead. I think one or two runs or if guys are on base, I would see them probably go to Iglesias more than than Kenley. At least if I'm managing – if I'm – you know, Brian Snicker, that's what I'm doing. But um, going back to Cleveland, yeah, there – and, I mean, you also throw uh, – I think his last name is Stephen. Trevor Stephen, yeah. Trevor you also got Sam Hedges, who's really, really good. Yeah. I mean, they um, got some guys out there, but it's – you know, how does that stack up? 
again, they can, I mean, they probably be able to limit the Yankees after that, but it's what happens before that. Like the Yankees are more prone to run into one than Cleveland. So I got Yankees in four. Okay. All right. Um, I, I'm just excited to see Class A um, throw against that Yankees lineup in, in the Bronx. That's going to be really fun. Um, all right, moving on. Houston, Seattle. I'm going to go Houston in four. I'm going to keep up with my World Series pick. I picked Houston to win it. Um, it it's been fun, Seattle. You're going to get two playoff games in front of your crowd. Um, but unfortunately, Houston's going to win game one, and it's going to deflate the tires of, of Seattle. Um, and and look between the the starting rotation for the Astros is sneaky and stupid good. Um, between Verlander, who's going to win the Cy Young, then you have Christian Javier, who I think is still might be on his quality search streak. If not, he ended it, but has like the most in MLB history. Um, then Lance McCullers or Jose Arcadia, whichever way you decide to or get Framber. Framber. And Fran Rivaldez, like every single and one Hunter of them, Brown. A, every single one of them has pitched in a World Series before. Yeah. Sorry, Seattle. I I, I think I'm going to say that. I yeah, think you're, you might. I think they might win their Luis Castillo matchup. Yes. That's yes. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to say the same exact thing. Houston for. Yeah. It's just, I mean, we keep talking about the pitching and how much it matters, and Houston has every bit of it. And not to say Seattle doesn't. We just saw how good their bullpen and their starters can be. It's just a matter of how fresh Houston's going to be and how proven they are and with the experience they have that it's just going to be a low-scoring series that's going to be fun to watch for a baseball fan that's, you know, a, a, that appreciates pitchers' duels. But – for for a uh, uh, a viewer that's maybe you know not that not into it not that into baseball we'll see it as a boring series but it'll be fun to watch I think on the on a pitching side of things I'm I think you might be surprised at the amount of runs scored in the series in this series both, both teams can swing it right I but, I mean I I'd say the Mariners are are the Yankees on a less degree where they can just run into one every now and again that, you know, that could put them in a, in a position to win. And I don't know. We'll see. I mean, you can say the same thing about the Astros. I mean, mm-hmm. they're obviously have a, a, a ton of uh, offensive firepower, but to pair that with a consistent starting rotation and a bullpen that, that plays up to par. I mean, it's, it's good and sets them up for a series win in four games. So you said that Seattle gets two home games. Yes, if if it goes to four, I mean it's two two one is the layout. Yeah. So they get two home games, and they will clinch their tickets to the ALCS in the fourth one, in that second home game. Game four, Seattle wins. One. Do I'm not so sold. That Verlander win games game one. I'm honestly leaning more towards him getting a no decision. He pitches well, but gets a no decision. We kind of hit on it earlier, and I might have missed my chance to jump in on it, but I think that the rest there actually favors the Mariners 
coming off of playing as opposed to the Astros. Because if we look at it, it's been about six or seven days since they've played. Offensively, they might be a little bit flat. So it gives the Mariners a chance to, you know, kind of sneak up game one. But I'm sticking with my World Series pick, and I'm going to go Mariners in four. And I would even stretch it and say that they win it in five. But I just want to see the reaction of the home crowd when they close it out in Seattle to see if they can break that sound record that was set by Beast Mode Run. That's all I want to see. Yeah. Um, I'm going to call my shot right here. I think Jose Altuve leads off the series with a homer against um, Logan Gilbert. And into the Crawford boxes. There's no reason for me to say it won't happen. He's he, I, he might be like the best postseason hitter ever in the leadoff spot. Like his stats don't back that up, but like I swear, at least once a series, dude just hits a bomb to lead off the game. Once a series. Um, I think it. I think if he does that, it'll be matching Julio Rodriguez leading off with one. I am purely here for that. As I say, football as as my teams start to stink in football, um, I'm here for chaos. So I don't have a dog in this fight. So I am purely here for chaotic baseball games. I'm here for the one like we had in Game Two in Toronto and Seattle. Yeah, I'm here for an eight to one blown lead, come back, win it in the ninth. Like I'm purely here for that. Please give me more of that. That is yeah. just like sickos baseball mentality. I love it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, please give give me two leadoff home runs in the first inning. That'd be awesome. Um, all right, let's move on. Atlanta, Philly. I want to pick Atlanta in three so badly, but I'm going to go Atlanta in four. Um, I, I, I. I say that because I think Zach Wheeler or Aaron Nola wins one of their starts, but not both. Um, But I I think Atlanta is the second best team in baseball, probably um, in reality, in terms of just how they're playing it. Power rankings wise, let's put it that way. Power rankings wise, I think they're the second best team in baseball behind the Dodgers. Um, But this team and, you just go from their starting pitching to their bullpen, like we already talked about, to their bats. I mean, one through nine, I mean, they can just torch you. So um, their rookies have been phenomenal. Michael Harris, Spencer Strider, um, and uh, Vaughn Grissom. So, and William Contreras, I think technically is a rookie, right? Yeah. Um, these, uh, I think – one of Kyle Wright or Spencer Strider might slip up in a game. Um, but I don't think Philly has enough. I, the bull of the pitching is just not there. I am going to say Atlanta in three. Um, my thinking there is you get free, you get free game one. I think that's, I mean, no matter who, I think it's set up right now for, Ranger Suarez to start for the Phillies for this game. Yes. Um, so chalk that up as a Braves win, in my opinion. Um, uh, then you go Kyle Wright versus probably Wheeler. I'm going to see if they've announced anybody yet. No, the Braves, but no, they haven't. Zach Wheeler is going on. on uh, okay. Yeah, the well, Braves have it, though. 
obviously that's going to be a tight game. That's probably Philly's best chance to to take one out in the first three games. Uh, but we've seen it all year that Kyle Wright knows how to win games. Uh, he, you know, I mean, that's obviously off the back of uh, the Braves offense. You know, obviously he can't win it himself, but um, I think the Braves will still sneak this out, even though the Phillies may have the better starter, but I mean, I just think their offense is way better than the Phillies. Of all the teams that advanced from the wild card, um, you can say you can say Philly and probably the Guardians have the least offensive momentum. Like we mentioned earlier with the Cardinals and the Phillies series, uh, like the Cardinals kind of put the Phillies in positions to where those bad swings and you know they they didn't. They didn't hit grand slams when the bases were loaded. They didn't. They didn't get ahead by homers. They didn't. They just kind of, you know, little dinks here that got through. So, I think a, a popular take on this whole series is that the Phillies will come out of it. And I've been seeing a lot on Twitter that the Phillies are the the sleeper choice to advance to the to the CS. But I mean, it's just not. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. But I think the big question is where they go with Strider coming off of his injury, I think maybe we'll see a Chuck Morton start. I'll say you could see Strider. I was going to see he's you, then we'll have Strider may see, see how Chuck does in the first two, three innings. If he's doing poorly, maybe Strider comes in and eats up that four through eight. If ideally Strider's start, if he does get one, can go one of two ways and there is no in between. He's either going to go six innings and have 13 strikeouts and not allow a run, maybe like two hits, or, and this is a big or, he's going to go like two innings, allow seven runs and have like two strikeouts. There is zero in between. I think if they're up two games and that game three comes around, they're going to start Morton and have Strider ready to go. I'd be, I think I'd be surprised because, I mean, yeah, Chucky Morton, don't get me wrong, playoff hero, um, one of the big parts of that Astros World Series in 2017. Um, the I think you'd be surprised because it seems like they just adore Spencer Strider in Atlanta, which we'll talk about his contract extension here in a minute. But, like, I don't know if you got an answer to the fan base if you don't start Spencer Strider in game three. <laughs> I think it'll answer to the fan base – Winning if you're up nothing, I think you start Spencer Strider. Yeah. Um, so I've been sitting here trying to research it the whole time. But Braves in three, first of all. Um, I refuse. Yes, this is part bias, but also part um, <laughs> realism. Braves in three. Um, and I think that Spencer Strider, I was going to say he was going to break the record for most strikeouts in a playoff game against him. But 17 is tough to do. That's Bob Gibson in the 68 World Series. He also threw nine innings. Um, But I I just don't see how the Phillies match up with with the Braves, like I said, let alone their offense. But to kind of hit on the points you guys are making, I think that for what you've done with Strider, where you've transitioned him to being a starter, that you let him start game three. 
as like you let him throw game three as a starter. You don't bring him out of the pen. Like, yeah, he started it off at the beginning of the year in the pen and then moved into the rotation. But for where he's at now, you let the young fella eat. Like, give him the ball, let him chuck it. And like you said, it'll be six innings, uh, 13 strikeouts. And you're like, okay, cool. We're ready to go. Um, so, yeah, Braves in, Braves in three. The Phillies offense, I don't think can definitely can't hang with Atlanta's because, like I said, one through nine for Atlanta can beat you. Um, so, yeah, Braves in three. I think if there is one series to create just a ridiculous amount of chaos, it's this one. Um, because of the Phillies offense, like we could see a just pitcher blow up game at some point between both teams. Like the Phillies offense is really good. And they've got so many power hitters that they could just slug the Braves to death in one game. Like just have like some six doubles and three home runs or something like that. Like, but the Braves could do the exact same thing to the Phillies pitching. And so I can't wait for one of these games to end like 12 to 10. I'm not saying that it's that would be a Phillies masterclass. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not possible, but it's hard for me to see that happening when the Phillies didn't have that big offensive explosion against a Cardinals team that pitches to contact. Yeah. Like, you know, so how do you deal with now guys that are trying to punch you out every time? Like, you know, it's not, hey, let's try to get weak contact or, you know, miss the barrel. These are guys that are like going out trying to punch you out every yeah. single time. You know, if it so does, you, it would happen in a game four where, like, maybe Charlie Morton's already thrown and you got, like, Syndergaard versus Jaco to Rizzi or something. And yeah. you're just getting, like, just a disgusting baseball game to watch in yeah. the playoffs. But um, that, that won't happen. I, I uh, hope not. I, I really, really hope that that matchup does not happen because I don't want to see it. Nah, no, nobody does. I don't think I'd love to see Charlie Morton just get that fourth game nod and – Braves yeah. just making it for. Yeah, I, if I'm lining up that rotation, it is definitely um, Freed, Wright, Strider, Morton. If I have to go to four, yeah. I think I, I think Bryce Elder might actually throw Game Five the way he ended the year. Um, now, if you go Game Five, Freed's going to be right back out there. Oh yeah, good point. Good call. Good call. Good call. Um, all right. L.A. and San Diego. I'm going L.A. in three. Um, only way that San Diego sniffs a win is that is if Joe Musgrove repeats what he did. Um, and I, I forgot that Kershaw was back. And with him being back, he's starting game two against New Darvish. So um, game one, I'm pretty much sharpening the Dodgers in for a victory. Um, like, you can write in pencil all you want to, but I'm just going to write a big old fat Sharpie over it, like L-A-D, game one. Um, Julio Arias might go like seven strong with allowing two hits and no runs, just like he seems to do every freaking game. Um, and then Mike Levenger might, I think, will blow up, but um, – you Darvish Kershaw is a very interesting matchup, and then you get Gonsolin versus um, versus Joe Musgrove. So the last two games of the series, for the length that I have it, will be very fun pitching matchups. And frankly, I don't trust the Dodgers' offense to outscore the Dodgers in any matchup ever. So um, 
Dodgers bullpen kind of sucks though. So anything can happen. However, I think the starting pitching is too much for Padres to overcome. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Dodgers and four. I think the Padres do sneak one out. Just that's just a a a take that I base off of the familiarity that they have with one another that they've seen each other all season, much like much like the Mariners and the Astros, but to a lesser extent, obviously the Dodgers are the one of the best teams we've seen in a long time. So uh, the starters, I'd say, I, I mean, you got to lean the Dodgers having the better starters. Um, but a a Gonsolin Musgrove matchup, I would say, give me the Padres in that, given what we just saw from Musgrove. But other than that, that I I would just they're up two they're up two nothing, and then they get that Musgrove start two one, and then Dodgers give me the night them the next game so. I say they sneak one out, but I think the Dodgers have this pretty handedly. Um, because I haven't picked one yet, this is going to be the series for me that I'm going to do it. Uh, Dodgers in five. Hadn't picked a five game series yet. Oh, I thought you were going to say you're going to go with uh, the Dodgers. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, no. Dodgers in five, though. Um, I think that the Padres, like I said, the familiarity there, but also that's a confidence boost for them beating the Mets, right? Like they're going to be riding that. So you're, they have to think one, no team goes and think, Hey, we have absolutely no shot, but they're like, Hey, we just got to Scherzer. We made the Grom work. We beat Bassett. The Mets offense is probably I mean, definitely not as good as the Dodgers, but it's in some ways comparable for at least guys that can't beat you in a variety of ways. Um, but then, like you said, that bullpen there for the uh, for the Dodgers is a little shaky. You know, yes, they'll probably move like Dustin made to the bullpen. Um, you know, so that's a flamethrower out of there. Bruzar is still there. Any the other guys that you got, but you have some shaky pieces. Bruzar's done for the year. Ah, well, hey, that now feeds a little bit more into this five pick I got. Yeah. Um, that I think that this would be where you said that the Phillies Brave series could be the one that could probably cause the most chaos. I think this is the one. Yeah. I think this is the one. Um, there is one guy that I want everyone to pay attention to. Um, when this season is said and done. I'm trying to um I think yeah. Evan Phillips. Mm-hmm. Remember that name after this division series. Yeah. Remember that name. He has taken over the closer role from, from Craig Kimbrell, and he is going to be lights out. Rightfully so. Like think about the fall of Kimbrell and Jansen. Kimbrell and Jansen just suck now. <laughs> I don't understand it. I had both on my fantasy baseball team this year and both of them suck. <laughs> Yeah. Like, going back to what you were saying Mike about the momentum that the Padres have I it's it's yes they have a lot of momentum but it's going to be in my opinion halted pretty quickly come game one with this Clevenger start that they are in our opinion I feel like going to get dominated in 
this game one, it's going to be tough to, you know, rely on the momentum from the Mets series when you just get a, you know, a beat down game one. I think that all goes out the window and it's, it starts fresh and then now you're already down a game. So one thing I want, I do want to see is, um, we did see Jake Cronenworth, I think, go hitless this entire series. Um, and I don't think Brandon Jury got I don't he didn't get a start. I don't know how if he even got in a bat. So maybe we'll see, you know, a little bit of a I think he, I thought he did start game two. Drury well not at second base. So maybe we'll see Drury play where Cronenworth plays and Cronenworth not in the starting lineup. So I don't know. That was just something I I saw that, you know, you'd think if they just stole a series from the Mets that you'd think Cronenworth had something to do about it, but yeah. Um he um, didn't he wasn't too loud. So Drury started game two, went over four. Cronenworth, you're correct. Um a big over in the series. So yeah. um I don't know who you're relying on there at second base. Just something to switch it up, honestly. I mean it's you can't you can't go into the series versus the Dodgers with that. Um you guys also have a lot of confidence in Kershaw in game two. I have confidence it's, in the Dodgers. Yeah, Kershaw but can okay. give up four runs and still win that game. No. Yeah. No. I don't think so. I don't think so. I disagree. I wholeheartedly disagree. Kershaw has to probably throw you a two two runs or less. But we've also seen him in the playoffs that when he gives up runs, he gives them up in bunches. It's not just, you know, scattering a run or two over seven innings. It's he has blow ups. Now, granted, yes, a lot of that was against the Cardinals, but it's still the fact that it's the playoffs and it's Kershaw. Um, I, I don't know. And then also, as much as I hate to kind of pick at this guy, Dave Roberts is probably going to do something that doesn't make a lot of sense during these five games that may cost them a game or two. But I don't have as much confidence in Kershaw in game two than that others do. So well, I still say Dodgers in five. I mean, it's hard not to look past Kershaw's flaws in the postseason that he's had in the past. Kershaw is not That's allowed. That's for sure. Kershaw has not allowed more than three runs in a start since twenty or in a postseason start since twenty eighteen. Um, but that's still I'm not out there. Um, I think okay. I I think that narrative got very much inflated by those 2017, 2018 runs where he really did just blow up. Um, but on, okay, so granted, we would probably have to do a deep dive on it. But there was probably some of those games you say he hadn't given up more than three. In a start, okay, but some of those games are probably also five inning starts where he gave up two. Like I said, it would probably take a real deep dive to go through the, all the box scores of when he pitched, but it hasn't been pretty. You know, it hasn't been what you expect from oh, arguably okay. the best pitcher of the generation, you know, in the playoffs where you really kind of solidify yourself. You can win 200 games on a regular season, you know, but in a postseason – where you're relied on to to be the guy, but you're only going, you know, four or five innings because 
of whatever reason. So, yeah, it may not have been more than three runs, but he's also not giving you length in a lot of those starts that you expect. At this point in his career, if he gives you five innings and no runs or one run, you'll right. take it. Yeah, you'll take it. You got nothing it. made coming out of the bullpen. Yeah. I mean, you'll he's take it. man that. that game. I mean, he, you probably won't need him for Arias. You probably won't need him for Gonsolin. Dustin may better be slated to come out of the bullpen in game two. But I also want to see how Gonsolin responds this playoff run, like this playoff run. Because this is like his first time being one of the guys in that rotation, not necessarily a spot starter or, hey, you know, we taxed our bullpen and other starters in previous games, so we're going to start him. It's, hey, you're you know you're getting the ball. How do you respond in that moment? Yeah. Um, which I should think Dustin May might end up starting game five if it gets there. So I, I don't know if he'll come out of the bullpen. I yeah. think he will, but I don't know. I, th- I think Arias would probably be able to come back at yeah. that point. I, I don't um, see any team throwing anyone other than their, their, one, their number one, you know, in – game five unless you're you know one of those wild card teams who had to throw your starter who had to throw their number one in game two yeah um other than that like the rest of teams the ones that got the buys already there um i don't see i don't see any one of them you know throwing anybody but their number one in game five yeah all right real quick mike we have our second chance world series picks can we wait to after each series? Because um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure we got to we'll do probably have to do another second chance after this. Series, so. Third chance. Yeah. Um, Braves Mariners. Hey, that was my preseason pick. Braves Mariners. I love it. I love it. If that happens, I will be so happy. That that is one because I had a preseason pick come correct. And that would be exciting. But two, the atmospheres between both of those stadiums will be awesome. Um, be good for baseball. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm going to go with two best teams in baseball. It's going to be so chalk. But I'm going to two best teams in baseball in seven games. I'm going to go Houston over L.A. in seven games. Um, the only reason I say Houston is because I don't trust the Dodgers bullpen fully. So, um nope. Brian, you can't pick anyone other than the Yankees-Dodgers because you talked about this all year, of how it would be so great for baseball. So that has I never pick. said that I wanted – like that I would pick a Yankees-Dodgers World Series. I think it would be great for baseball if it happened because the it would be the most watched World Series in baseball history, most watched games in baseball history. But are they the two best teams? No, they're not. Yeah, all I heard was that you just said Yankees, Dodgers in the World Series. (laughs) I would be thrilled with probably any matchup that – I'm sorry, Philly fans, but any matchup that doesn't have the Phillies in it. I just don't want to see the Phillies in the World Series with that. Like, I just don't think that they're a good enough team. And if they make it there, I just will not understand it. So, um any team, any other team that makes it, I'll be purely happy with because I think there are benefits to every other team making it. So, um, I'm excited to see how this how these series pan out. I'll be my my bias won't let me pick any other team but Atlanta in the playoffs. Just from recent histories with um, the Cardinals, like 
the Padres put us out in 2020. The Phillies obviously put us out this year. And then we've struggled with the Dodgers in previous series. Wait, you said uh, the Padres put you all out last year? 2020. Oh, sorry. I was about to say 2021, the Dodgers put you all out. I thought. See, that's yeah. it. See where I'm going with this? So, yeah, by default, because the last time we played Atlanta in a series, we beat them. Um, <laughs> yeah, put up 10 runs off of Mike fulton Everett. So, as long as the Braves don't throw Mike fulton Everett ever again in a playoff game, I think they're okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'll be just fine. I, I I will say I stole that from a tweet that I saw because I thought it was funny. Like someone said, if the Braves play the Cardinals again, just don't throw Mike Fulton Evans and everything will be okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited for more playoff baseball this week. Um, any final thoughts, anybody? No, I'm, the, I, I'm the only one with my World Series pick still still intact. Well, I got half of mine. My winner is intact. At least true, true. Um, it just doesn't feel right to say it, Brian. So I'm just gonna not say it. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Clear eyes, full hearts. Tigers lose. <laughs> <laughs>